Today's scripture is Philippians 3, 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, I said, I don't think that's what marriage is. Uh, Amelia and I had uh, just been married a year or two. Married? No. uh, Married a year or two. And uh, we were having uh, some discussion, I don't remember the exact context, but something uh, about an issue between us that we were trying to work out that we needed to address in our relationship. And I just, I do remember this feeling of like, man, how many, how many times are we going to have to have discussions about stuff we need to fix in our relationship? Like, eventually we get to a point, yeah, laugh, that's the joke line, right? <laughs> Amelia laughed too. Like, eventually don't we get to a point where like we have it all figured out? And, and, and we don't have to work at it anymore? And Amelia did laugh, and she said, no, no, no that, that's not what marriage is. That's not what relationships are. I mean, we're going to grow, but we're going to keep on growing. We have to keep working at it, because we never really get to a point where we're, we're done, right? And I, I think in my really immature mind, I thought, okay, uh, you know, I got this beautiful awesome young lady to fall in love with me and actually marry me and like we said I do so we're good now right now I can just sort of kick back and enjoy being married yes and no not not in the way I meant because what I grew to realize is that being married like making that commitment wasn't than a position to say, okay, whew, well, now, now we're married, now I can coast, and, and you know, it's all smooth sailing from here. No, it, it was, you know, now that we've made this commitment to each other, now I want to be a person that lives out these promises that I've made. I, I want to grow to be the kind of person, because of that commitment, that, that works hard at loving and serving my spouse. I, I want to work at being the person that makes marriage a delight for this person that I'm partnered with. I, I guess somehow I had this idea that, you know, I was going to get to a point where I had arrived and it wasn't going to be a challenge anymore. And that's not reality, not in marriage, not in parenting, not in really any relationship, not in life. 
Because if you think about it, whether it's a marriage or career or family or just our own lives, we're all heading somewhere, right? There's a goal that we are heading towards. There's something that our lives are about. And maybe you couldn't write it down or articulate it, but it gets lived out every day in the choices that we make, the priorities we pursue, the things that we do and we don't do, the way that we respond to annoyances and interruptions and joys and sorrows and the, and the things that we hope for. There's something that your life is heading towards. It's pursuing something. You're moving towards something. Running, we might say. Running a, a race because there's a goal. There's something we're heading towards. A race to be run and, and a prize to be won. And Paul raises the question for us, I think, in this second half of Philippians 3, what is that for you? What is your life heading towards? What race are you running? And how much effort are you putting into that race? Turn your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Philippians chapter 3. I don't know if you caught it in the reading, but Paul just mentions something he's talked about before and that we sang earlier, that our first identity in terms of where we belong, our citizenship, is not in Rome for those people, not in America, we could say in our context. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven, Paul said in verse 20. We are children of God. That gives us our identity and our goal. It means we live with different values, with different purposes, with different priorities because of that citizenship. And in this passage, Paul is going to encourage us to run the race of our lives with that in mind, with that end in mind. He wants us to keep our eyes on the prize, to run based on where we're actually trying to get to. And he's going to show us just a couple of things, that there is a race to be run and a prize to be won. So let's look at that together, a race to be run. Did, did you catch what Paul said? The intensity and the energy that come out of these verses, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this. Obtained what? Well, resurrection, glory, perfection. I haven't obtained it. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead, I press on. Do, do you hear the energy? There's, there's intention and effort there, that, that straining forward is a word that has the, the sense of like all, all my muscles are knotted and, and I'm exerting myself and, and sweat is pouring off of my forehead. It's hard work, Paul says, and, and I want you to press into that and, and press on. In case Paul hasn't made it clear here, in, in case you hadn't picked it up anywhere else in the Bible, Growing in following Christ is not let go and let God. 
It's not, well, we said I do, and now I can just coast through marriage for the next 40 or 50 years. No, there's no progress that you do not work for in following Christ. We don't work to become Christians, but Paul has all this imagery here that says there's, there's no holiness, there's no growth, there's no righteousness that shows up in our lives that is not worked for. One thing I do, he says, I, I press forward, I strain, I focus on this thing. Paul wants us to focus, to be diligent, to become men and women of God who are focused, living in a way with the end in mind. That's the power of intention. The power of intention here. Paul says, I exert myself, I strain for this one thing to pursue Christ and the calling that he has put on my life. I give it everything I've got. Paul says, press on, strain, exert yourself to know Jesus. Because that's the goal, isn't it? I, I hope that's what our lives are about. So how much do I want it? See, we can get up at 5 a.m., some ungodly hour, to go to the gym and, and work out and, you know, strain our bodies towards physical growth. Do I have the same intentionality to, to make sure that I get up to have time in relationship with God? I can make sure that, you know, I get my kids to all the rehearsals and practices and performances and games. I can make sure that I always get that phone call, that lunch appointment on my calendar with that person that, you know, I really need to connect with. Do I make sure that God shows up on my calendar, that I have time for Him? You know, I, I can be really committed to make sure I'm never going to miss an episode of, of that show or that series that just dropped on Netflix. I'll binge watch it to catch up. I wonder how many times I've binge read the Bible to catch up because I fell behind in my reading plan. Or if I make sure that that's the one thing I don't miss. I, I invest wisely for my career advancement or my financial future. I wonder how much intentionality I put around planning for my eternal future. Do I put my thought and effort and, and skill and planning into what's going to last forever. That's, that's what Paul's getting at. Absolutely nothing happens in life without intention. You guys are here at the right time because you intentionally set your clocks back an hour last night, right? Or you left your phone on so it would auto-update and, and the alarm went off. In any case, you got up, you ate, you got dressed, you got yourself here, because you made intentional effort to do that. It didn't happen by accident. It didn't just take care of itself. But that intention, that determination can fade because of all the distractions around us. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul says, 
If you're trying to run a race while looking back over your shoulder, if nothing else, you're going to slow down and, and you're likely to run into something and fall backwards. There are some things we need to let go of in order to be able to go forward. You have to forget your failures, for example. Anyone here, like I do, sometimes live in the land of if only? Oh, I mean, if only I'd done that. Oh, why didn't I? How could I have forgotten? Oh, if only, if only, if only God would let me rewind the tape. All of us have blown it. I mean, Paul gets to the end of his life and he can call himself the chief of sinners. But that's not his identity. We have to forget our failures, acknowledge them, stop rehearsing them, release them. Sometimes we have to forget our successes because it can become easy to coast on what we did or what we learned last week or last month or last year. Sometimes, you know, we, we keep looking backwards towards the good old days, which, come on, let's be honest, they weren't even that great to begin with. But even if they were great, are they helping you move forward? Because if you're constantly looking back at all the great stuff we used to have and I used to do, how are you going to go forward to where God needs to take you? Any of you remember uh, the Sears catalog? It was a, a big, thick thing that came at Christmas, like two inches thick. It weighed like five pounds, and it would slam down on your doorstep. And, you know, when, you, when I was a kid, that meant great. Now I've got like 500 pages of stuff to look through. Sears made money for a century with this mail-order catalog business. Back in an era when people did not have easy access to big stores, they lived in rural, far-flung places, and it was really successful for them. But the problem is, they just kept coasting on that success. And as consumer shopping habits changed, and technology changed, by the time the internet started exploding, Sears was actually closing down its catalog business. <laughs> drove a successful, profitable, 100-year-old business into the ground because they couldn't change to keep up with reality. They kept looking back. And they said, well, this is the way we've always done it. Maybe there's an achievement in your past that, that you're still reliving and coasting on and talking about. Maybe there's a sin that you're still beating yourself up for. Maybe there's a, a hurt Sometimes something really profound that it's just got a hold of you and you can't seem to let go of it. Maybe there's a person that you refuse to forgive. What do you need to let go of? Maybe think about that. Maybe even write something down. Paul doesn't say pretend it never happened. But he's saying that cannot define who you are and distract you from where God needs to take you and wants to take you because we need to keep moving forward. But not all forward movement is good, right? I mean, sometimes we can go forward in the wrong direction. I need people who are farther ahead who can 
set an example for me whom I can imitate because we all learn how to do life from other people, right? I mean, I got up and I dressed myself this morning. And maybe you can tell that Amelia is away on the senior high retreat as I tell you that. But whether it was Amelia or somebody else, I mean, I was not born learning how to dress myself. I had to learn how to do that from somebody who already knew how to do it. That's the power of imitation. The question is, am I imitating the right people? Because notice what Paul talks about. Many of whom I've often told you in verse 18, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, there's no evidence, I don't think, in this letter that these people are actively opposed to the church in Philippi. They're not violently persecuting them. That doesn't seem to be the case, but somehow they're enemies of Christ, apparently simply for the way they're living their lives. Look at how Paul pictures this. Their mind is set on earthly things. There's no higher goal or good they could imagine than what they can get out of this life. No interest in eternity, no interest in salvation, no love for God, no interest in His truth, His wisdom, His righteousness, His his glory. Because their God is their bellies. What a great picture. It may be about gluttony, but but I think it's probably just a picture to say that's the seat of their desires. Whatever my appetites are, that's what controls my life. If it feels good to me, that's what I will do. The main thing is that it works for me. I don't don't care about truth. I just want to know that it's true for me. And then that, as you can expect, leads to some messes. So they end up glorying in their shame because now I can't stand to have anyone. How dare you tell me that what I'm doing is not right? Who Who are you to judge me? And their end is destruction. Sad, tragic reality of of a life that is turned in on itself where I become the judge of all things that matter for me because I don't want God and I don't want His love and His reconciliation and His life. I cut myself off from Him and I end up destroying myself. It's terrible, it's frightening. And I think Paul puts it here for a few reasons. One, I think we're meant to ask ourselves, are there any ways this is true of me? Is this reflected in my life? I I think second, it's a warning from Paul clearly to not follow their example because this is the values of the world around us, the way the world has always been and, and what it values. It celebrates wealth and power and success at all costs and materialism and unlimited sexual liberation. And we're not citizens of this world. That's not the goals. That's not the values God's people live by. So don't imitate them, God says. Warning. And then third, notice he says this with tears, not with anger, not with bitterness, not with judgment, not with hostility, but with tears. So Paul is saying, don't hate them, don't withdraw from them, don't 
angrily condemn them, love them, pray for them. Ask God to soften your heart for people who are heading towards destruction. So who do I imitate? Well, look at what Paul says in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, this way about pressing on towards the goal. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. What's Paul getting at here? I think think he's saying, if in anything you think otherwise. Paul is acknowledging that Christians disagree on hundreds of things that aren't central to our faith. Things that are secondary to, to what it means to know and follow Jesus. You know, some hold one day is more holy than another, and others think all days are alike. Some think wine is a good gift from God and to be drunk in moderation, and others think drinking is a bad witness to the world and poor stewardship. There are a thousand issues that Christians disagree on in terms of how we live out following Christ and what it means to pursue righteousness and wisdom and justice and flourishing in our world. A thousand things that God cares about. Protection for the unborn and racial justice and reconciliation and helping the poor and visiting prisoners and economic flourishing of our communities and meaningful work and upholding the rule of law and strengthening marriages and families and on and on and on. And Paul says, nobody has arrived at complete maturity. In other words, if you think that the thing that you care about is the one thing that everyone has to care about, and then you look down on those people who aren't as invested in that thing as you are, you're not quite as mature as you think you are. Let us live up to what we have attained. What have we attained? We have attained a right standing with God by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ, which we did not earn and is not a testimony to our wisdom and goodness. And the exact opposite. So hold true to that, Paul says. Let us hold true to what we have received, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and show grace to one another so that we don't go around saying, you know, you could really be mature as me if only you would, you know, care about the things I care about and live like I live. No, Paul says. No, that's not what you have attained. That's not what God has called you to. Nobody has arrived at true maturity yet. And and if we think we've arrived, Paul says, we're not yet as mature as we think we are. So hold true to what we've attained because we're not there yet and we're all in process. So look for good examples. Choose your models wisely. Join in imitating me, Paul says, which seems like it goes against what Paul's just saying, but he's saying, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And and he's pointing back again to Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's not saying they're perfect, but look at the example of their godliness, their sacrifice, their service, and follow those people. You know, a few weeks ago when Joey took us through this passage looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus, he had this kind of key thought, you can't become what you can't imagine. And I I think we could sort of turn it and say, you will become what you focus on. 
You will become like the people that you hang out with. You will follow in the footsteps of the people that you're putting in front of you. So who are you modeling your life after? Who are you hanging out with? Who is shaping you? Follow people whose lives are heading where you want to end up, Paul says. I thought about this recently when I became aware of uh, the Four family uh, spending a good bit of time and effort and creativity on uh, baking uh, some, some uh, pumpkin rolls and other baked goods to raise money so that they can go on a ministry trip to Africa next year to encourage some of our brothers and sisters who are serving on another continent. Isn't that awesome? I mean, to bring together community and skills and mission and gifts to invest time and my skills and my life with others for something bigger than ourselves. Man, I look at that and I say, boy, that's an example to follow. They're trying to live so that what they do now reflects what they value ultimately. They're trying to bring their future identity and reality into their lives here and now. That's what Paul is telling us all to do. Because that's what really keeps us going, is the future that we're heading towards. There's a race to be run because there's a prize to be won. And the prize is worth it. There's a goal that makes it all worthwhile. Look back again in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Remember your destiny, Paul says. This world is not your home. Its values, its priorities, its goals, the way it does things. That's not who you are. Keep your eyes on the prize. Remember where your home is. In heaven, in eternity, with the Father from whom we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. And, and that's a good rendering, but the, the Greek is even a little more evocative than that. What Paul literally says is the body of our humiliation will be changed into the body of Christ's exaltation. Wow! That is a destiny. That is a goal worth pressing into and straining towards. What a glory, what a joy awaits us. Does, does your heart ever just echo what John writes? Amen, Lord Jesus. Make it happen soon. I am so ready to see you. I am so longing for the day when my body doesn't break down anymore, where it doesn't wear out or get tired or get sick or give in to weakness and decay. But even better than that, where, where sin will no longer ensnare me or entangle me. 
where sin would no longer look attractive and lead me astray, when all the good, God, that you have prepared for me to do, I will be able to do perfectly, completely, eternally. Wow! What a prize. Paul says, remember, Christ your King is coming. And he will take you to be with him. He will raise you even from the dead. Because that's Paul's hope, again, remember, to attain to this resurrection. Because when we die now, there's this weird, unnatural divorce that happens. God intended body and soul to be united forever. But now, because sin has come into the world and death with it, we die. Our bodies go into the ground. Our souls go to be with the Lord. But one day, Jesus will rise again and return to earth. And when he does, he raises us with him. And we will be remade into what we were meant to be. That is what we are heading for. We will dwell with God in his presence forever, transformed. To be made like Jesus in his body, we will put on immortality. As Paul says in verse 11, knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, and, and we get a taste of it now, but one day, one day, it will be our eternal experience. But that's not even the prize. Not heaven, not resurrection, certainly not rewards for the work that we've done for Jesus. Christ is the prize. Christ is what makes heaven, heaven. Because if you don't want Jesus, if you're not excited about him, if you don't delight in and desire him, heaven will be miserable for you. Because heaven is about the glory and the beauty and the worship of Christ. And then in a new heavens and a new earth, living that out in everything that we do. That, that now all art and work and Play and music and creativity, all of it is now transformed. And, and what it should be. Paul says, don't let this world be your highest goal and your greatest joy. Concentrate on your ultimate destiny. Your hope is in Christ, in having Him forever. Is that your hope? Is that your goal, the, the focus of what you want your life to be about? What is the prize that you are straining forward to have in your life? Paul says, make it Jesus. But he also recognizes that we can't do this in our in ourselves. Paul says, I haven't obtained this. I'm, I'm not already perfect. I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. I press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus for which Christ has laid hold of me. Jesus has taken hold of my life and made me his own to make this happen in my life. 
there's a prize to be won, and the glorious good news is Christ has already won it. It's the only race you'll ever win in which the outcome is already guaranteed. Jesus is the guarantee of the work that he is doing in you and for you. The grip of Jesus in our lives then, that assurance, that Christ saying to us, I do, I take you to be my bride, doesn't make us slack off. It's now what gives us the confidence and the assurance to press all the more into pursuing Jesus because we want him. And he's the one who now enables us to do that. Nothing can snatch us from the Savior's hands. Nothing can separate us from his love. That's what gives us the motivation and the empowerment to press on and to strain towards the goal. Therefore, my brothers or my brothers and sisters, we could say, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Jesus will redeem you. That is your glory, and he is your prize. So what do we do? Jesus does not say stand still. He says stand firm, be strong, be confident, be steadfast. Peoples whose citizenship in heaven live as though we were already there, here and now, because it's guaranteed through Christ. You can see the obstacles ahead of you. Maybe you're weary and well-doing. You've stumbled along the way. You've fallen down a hundred times. But God's grace picks you up, dusts you off, and sets you back on the race again. Press on to lay hold of that for which God has laid hold of you. Keep your eyes on the prize. Press on. In 1968, Mexico City hosted the Summer Olympics. It was, as it happens, the highest elevation at which the Summer Olympic Games had ever taken place, which was especially significant in the marathon, which took place on a rather warm afternoon with the sun beating down. Eighteen of the runners who started did not finish the course because the thin air and the heat and just the toll that the race takes on you made them drop out. Jonathan Aquari of Tanzania was running at a good pace about two-thirds of the way through when his head started to throb and his legs felt weak and he stumbled and collapsed to the ground, dislocating his knee and injuring his shoulder significantly. And officials urged him to give up, but he said, no, no, get me some bandages. I want to wrap my knee in and keep going. So he picked himself up and limped along for another seven miles. It did not matter that the stadium was almost empty and there was very little applause. It did not matter that he did not get a medal or get to hear his national anthem played. It did not matter that he finished an hour after the man who won the race. John Aquari finished the race because he saw that the race was bigger than himself, bigger than the pain that he experienced. He ran for the glory and the joy of the people who had sent him to finish that race. John Aquari kept his eyes on the prize and finished 
the race before him. And we have a race to run and a prize that's already been won for us, but that we are running to live out. God who began a good work in you will carry it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So run, press on, keep straining to follow Christ and to know him because he is the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize and run hard after Jesus because he is worth it. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have laid hold of us through your son Jesus. Because Christ has won the race for us, Lord, help us to strain toward the goal, to press on to the finish, knowing and trusting that Jesus is worth it. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.